Hello, everyone, and welcome to the School Counseling in Nebraska podcast. Uh, this is Jake Willems, uh, one of your ho- co-hosts. I am joined by my very good friend, Lonnie Watson. Lonnie, how are you? Hey, oh, hey. Oh, I'm so good. I'm very excited to do our first ever book club. I know. I'm excited. And this is this is an episode of first because in addition to this being episode one of our book club, we are also hopefully joining many of you on YouTube with our uh, video podcast. We are throwing these up. So those of you watching us on YouTube, hello. Hopefully we look nice and presentable and uh, don't don't do any kind of strange video things. Are, are you a little nervous about this, Lonnie? Well, I'm terribly nervous about this. And you can tell how high tech I am here with my headphones that before we started, Jake, I had to put a little scotch tape on to make sure that that they're on. But this is this is us. This is you, a real deal. We're really know, this being is vulnerable. How, this is how uh, Dax, Dax Shepard, I think, does it the same way, right? Oh, he uses absolutely. tape on all of his. Oh, he uses tape. And yeah, we're, we're like, Brene Brown would be so proud of us. We're being yes. so vulnerable here. So She would be. Well, well, uh, like Lonnie said, uh, we are so excited. This is episode one of our uh, book club that we're doing to finish off this semester of the school year. We have had a couple of episodes that might be useful just to bring you up to speed. Uh, a, a couple of months back, we interviewed Liz Bartels from Project Harmony to talk about the science of hope. Uh, we introduced a month ago that we were going to be talking about this and kind of jumped a little bit into the uh introduction of the book but we are here if you've been following along on our instagram uh you know that this first episode is going to cover chapters one through eight of the book hope rising book is right here you can get it in all of the different places on youtube or not on youtube on amazon uh, just on all the places you can search for uh, search for the website to look for it as well i had a great time reading this lonnie what about you i I really loved, I've been really excited to to dig into this. And I kind of, to be honest, Jake, I didn't want to read the chapters too early. Mm-hmm. So I'm really recently up to date. So if anybody out there is a little bit behind, no worries, jump in with us at any point. But uh, I thought, I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get eight chapters read? This, yeah. I have a lot going on right now. And you and I, between the two of us, we got six kids. We got it's a lot crazy. of things going on at work, a lot of people who depend on us. And um, it was a good first start to the eight chapters. I'm excited for some more skills we're going to learn along the way. I think it really set up the definition of hope well and a lot of anecdotes and stories along the way. And so um, I loved it because you and I were kind of reading these chapters at the same time this week. And Mm -hmm. we talked and we said, let's not prepare our favorites for the first eights before the podcast. Let's go back and forth and play off each other. So I came with about three or four of my kind of enlightening moments for the first eight chapters. And I think you have as well. So I'm really excited to see if any of ours have any overlap. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, I can kind of get us started a little bit. I think the the place that you have to start is really in chapter two, chapter two of the textbook specifically right on page nine for those following along really gives the definition of hope. And I think that's just where, where you have to start. Now, Liz, Liz was a great, was a great person for us because she already talked about us, but in the book, they talk about how hope means, you know, really it has three components. It talks about having goals and then pathways or way power and then having agency or willpower. And I love the definition that it really kind of broaches all three of those areas. I, you know, early on in that chapter, it talks about how 
in general, as a culture, we kind of use hope to mean more of a wish. Like we'll tell somebody before a concert, I hope you have a good time at the concert, basically meaning I wish I, you know, I wish this goes well for you. Whereas hope is a really active process of having a goal, making sure that you have those ways to be able to achieve it. And then the thing that most speaks to me is the agency, the willpower to be able to take things into your own hands, to be able to achieve stuff. Did that, did that chapter or those kind of concepts resonate with you at all? I, I hope the Huskers do well next year. Yes. That's what Liz told us. I'll never forget in that podcast yeah. episode. Uh, well, I wish the Huskers well next year as well. Yes. And, and I, I wish they would do well. That's, I mean, but how powerful is that to have a definition of hope? Because I've heard this before. This is me jumping off of the text here. But have you ever heard admin or leadership say hope is not a strategy? Mm-hmm. Hope is not yep. a strategy. Well, in that first chapter, um, in that, first and second chapter as you're reading the definition hope is absolutely a strategy you're just yes. not defining if you don't if you do not think hope is a strategy you do not understand the true definition of hope exactly what you said way power and willpower and then to think that we can grow both of those is is an incredible thought and definitely a strategy you know on that page 9 kind of the there's in bold face right up towards the top of that page it says hope is the belief that your future can be brighter and better than your past and that you actually have a role to play in making it better and man i mean when you read that at least as an educator you you can't help but think of students you know i think not only of my time back in omaha but but where i am currently of students that see have a difficult past and have a hard time kind of grasping and kind of holding on to what the future could be and and taking those things the thing that just speaks so much to me is the agency you know i can think of anybody that's hopeless as somebody that feels like there's nothing i can do i can do to fix that and if we can provide kids the skills that they need and the ability to really um, have agency over their lives even sometimes helping kids when they're seniors realizing, hey, you've maybe been in this in this family and had these dynamics forever. But as you go to college, you get a chance to turn the page and kind of rewrite your story to, I think, providing that is just so powerful. So of all three of those things there, of course, they all go together. That agency was for sure the thing that the, the first thing that really speaks to me, I, I can really resonate with that. So I'm going to piggyback off agency because on page 11, they say hope, just like you said, is a combination of willpower and waypower. And I wrote this down, uh, agency and pathways. Willpower is limited each day. And that, how true is that? Like our willpower, our, sometimes teachers call it motivation, right? Yeah. I kept sometimes subbing that word to uh, motivation, my motivation. Well, it's limited each day. We have a finite amount of it. So when you exert your willpower, your motivation, whatever it is that's getting you to get these tasks done throughout the day, you're also depleting glucose. And there's going to be a chapter coming up about nutrition. And I am stoked for that Mm -hmm. as well. Cause I'm kind of, I'm not, I wouldn't say I I'm not a nutrition nerd, but I, I try to be thoughtful with it. And I think there's a lot of, you know, in when we counsel students and all those things, there's a lot of like really good, cool things our bodies can do for us. Um, so we're depleting glucose, it says, resulting in mental fatigue. Well, that makes sense to me, right? We're using willpower. We only have so much in the tank each day. Um, no, knowing that it's limited during the day, it's easy to see how other areas of your life are impacted in the ways you respond to your goals in the face of stressful events that might deplete your energy. So 
in times of depletion, I'm thinking of like my high school students or elementary students for grief, depression, anxiety, yes. big decisions, you will have drops in motivation. That is that normalizes what we see, right? Yeah. And you might need support. Oh, look at we're on YouTube now. So I'm this is my little support. I'm putting my hand underneath. We need support in times where our willpower or agency has been diminished or limited. And then there's a quote on that page. And I really like this quote from Rick Snyder. They reference Rick Snyder quite often in this text. Repeatedly, over and over. (laughs) Repeatedly. He loved to say that hope means you can get there from here. I mean, how simple is that? You can get there from here. Yeah. And it reminds me, if you haven't listened to the podcast we did before with Liz Bartels, she tells a story about having to re-goal, uh, re-goaling and re-goal with a high school student who wanted to be a veterinarian. That's what the high school student thought she wanted to be a veterinarian. Yes. And it was very obvious by grades and um, academic achievement, um, ability to take and withstand hard classes that that was going to, from where she was at right then, that wasn't going to be the next goal, right? So they re-goaled and decided, well, she didn't actually want to take those science classes and didn't want to be the vet, but she could see herself working with animals, working at a shelter, doing dog grooming, being a vet tech, those kind of things. So I thought that you can get here from, you can get there from here was a really cool, cool quote that reminded me of our conversation with Liz. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think that it is that helping i mean there's an element of of grieving you know kind of where you are maybe at times when somebody is at that hopeless level and knowing that that is a part of the process and knowing that after doing that or as you're doing that and it gives you the ability to kind of move on you know it can get you to that next level so that's great i love it yeah i liked all of the i mean that that fella mr stevens is is you're right he's referenced pretty pretty frequently so so my next quote is from page 12. Are you beyond page 12 or we can for your page next 12. one? Because yep. you know I had to go with the minivan analogy, Jake. Mm-hmm. You knew <laughs> I was going to have to. Do you guys own a minivan? We do. We got one in December. Oh, uh, when, good, Elliot, when Elliot was coming, it was, uh, it was necessary for us. So now are you Three. guys on minivan life now? Oh, we've been living that minivan life and I'm so <laughs> proud of that swagger wagon. I tell yeah. you what, those doors aren't, they're not dooring other people's cars. They're not swinging open. They just slide and glide. Um, there is nobody more proud of their minivan than Lonnie Watson. We'll be yeah. honest about that. <laughs> so of course I'm going to bring on page 12, uh, he, there's a minivan analogy and I want to read this verbatim. Mm-hmm. Uh, Agency requires you to continuously stay tuned and replenish when you run low on fuel. We have to replenish the gas agency so our van can continue the journey towards our goals. We use the analogy of a van because we often have to carry our daily burdens on our journey. Oh my gosh, father of three young children, does yeah. that just relate to you? <laughs> yeah, of resonate? course. Of course. We, I, was, I have to do an, an anecdote here. I'm doing the kindergarten fast families in school together program for my middle child, um, Grant, who's going to go to kindergarten next year. Mm-hmm. And we have to draw um, it's kind of like an icebreaker answer question when we do parent group. So they split up kindergartners and parents and the siblings. And my question was, what part of your daily routine could you do without? And I was like, oh my gosh, immediately my brain goes drop offs and pickups, drop really? offs and pick. Oh man, Why so? they're time consuming oh, and yeah. stressful for me. So I was thinking about that. Um, 
about <laughs> the burdens can be the normal daily stresses of responsibility, the attention robbing forces of trauma. So now we're talking about bigger scope than the children yes. whining in my vin- minivan or physical and mental health challenges, which can take up a lot of space in our minivan, right? Um, if our burden is unmitigated or triggers us, it's likely to be sitting in the front seat, detra- distracting our attention through rumination, worry, regret, or other negative emotions. Healthy hope puts the burdens in the back of the van and always looks forward. I just thought that was it. The minivan is like almost triggered me to feel like, yeah, no, I get where my attention is pulled different directions with things that can be stressful. Um, so I really like that analogy and I really like my minivan. My, um, the, uh, the church that we went to when we were living out in Gretna and our pastor specifically, I remember one time he used an analogy of, uh, you know, kind of moving forward, especially based on like trauma and your past and all those sorts of things. And he talked about nobody drives watching the rearview mirror. If you drive looking at your past all the time, you're not going to get very, you know, you're going to end up in a car accident or all those sorts of places. That's helpful to have that rear view mirror to know where you've come from, you know, what's behind you, but to keep moving forward. And I can, especially, I, I like that same, I didn't write that down, but I like that man analogy because it was great, but I can relate to that of, especially, you know, when you're thinking in that perspective of hope and wanting to empower people to, to kind of keep moving on that rear view mirror is important. My goodness to know where you are and, and, you know, to keep you humble and keep you thankful for the, for the journey that you're on currently. But, but yeah, absolutely. I love it. Uh, okay. Well, I'll jump into my number two. As Lonnie said a little bit in our introduction, the book is filled with all sorts of anecdotes. I know, I know sometimes it can be easy when you see those to kind of go through, you kind of know where the story's going. But on, I think it's in chapter three and it was on page 23. This is the chapter where he talks about the um, feller that was a speaker. I think his name was Amika Naka. But there's a specific one that he talks about, about hope and cancer, where he talks about a Dan Conrad, who was the Vietnam veteran. And um, that, I don't want to speak for you, but some of the examples were pretty uh, hard, kind of gut-wrenching a little bit to yes. go through just because of those personal connections. And Dan specifically kind of, I when I was reading it, got pretty emotional because we've experienced, you know, in uh, my wife's family, some, some loss with cancer. And the idea of, you know, the trauma, he remembered the, this Dan, the person on there, remembered a friend who had cancer and went through chemo and had this horrible final seven days before they passed. And he, you know, the underlying assumption was, I, if I do this, I will go down the same way. And it's a loss of hope. That wrecked me. I mean, that was that was pretty tough. And to talk about that they finally agreed to set a goal, the goal's treatment, the pathway is one chemo treatment at a time after surviving rounds, then being able to be a part of this treatment. Um, I think, you know, we have these unwritten assumptions in our life of thinking that, um, you know, we even in a lesser way of school-wise, kids will say, my parents were bad at math, so I'm going to be bad at math, you know? Oh, yeah working to kind of take away those assumptions from kids that just because this happened to somebody else, don't give up hope. You know, there are a million different ways. So to go through that processing. So the book, you know, the book is filled with these anecdotes. That one specifically, I mean, that was, that was a rough, (laughs) a rough page and a half to get through because it just brought up a lot of memories and hard conversations and some 
kind of perilous, just times that were, that were really difficult, you know, just within my own extended, extended family. So did that, does that kind of resonate with you at all? Well, I told you already, uh, just in the brief text that we were getting this um, set up for, is that I had to skip and skim read one of them um, about a little girl who had lost her mother um, young, and I've also lost my mother. I wasn't as young as she was 12, Um, but it was so touching to the point that the tears came, and I had to just readdress that story um, later, so that one was the one that really affected me. also, uh, dealing her, she had lost her mother to some early Alzheimer's, which we have been dealing with. Uh, we've been caretaking for someone yeah. in our life with Alzheimer's. And so that was, you know, really, really close to me and brought out a fear that I have. And then you think, gosh, if I'm reading this anecdote, and by the way, all of these anecdotes give some skills that, that what happened to this kid to work through. So you're not only going to find yourself in an anecdote, but you are going to find like, there's there's Johnny I've been working with. There's Lonnie. There's Jake. There's, uh, so you might actually find some ideas or normalize some of the issues that you work with kids with every day or that you've been through yourself. But, um, almost all of these anecdotes throughout, even as hard as they are, are examples of how hope to help them persevere and, and get to a goal or get to a good life. Um, so, they're, they're really good examples. I told you each one of those anecdotes in this book could be used as a case study in a counseling class or in an education class. Well, and it felt like, I mean, that's kind of even the process, you know, the, they talk about the, uh, the author Chan Hillman. I'm sure, you know, you already know in the text, some of these are people, people that they knew, even mm-hmm. if they're made up, which hopefully they're not, they're all um, so powerful and really demonstrating it. And I think helping what I liked is that it makes it applicable to all the different students you might be seeing with, because I have a student right now that is going through friend loss of friend, you know, every, every day, I'll just repeatedly over and over again. And even I'm like, goodness, what the heck is going to, you know, going to happen in this situation. So knowing that, okay, regardless of the situation, there are ways to, to build into, to build into people. So anyway, of all the anecdotes that one, you know, very much spoke to me. So, and it makes it readable. I would say the the whole text is readable to me, Jake. Yeah. As far as um, a text that could be, you know, borderline, um, I don't know, textbooky, right? Yes. Or it's a nonfiction. Sometimes I have a hard time reading the textbooks, but when you put in case studies and anecdotes, the way they story tell throughout this book, yeah. it definitely it keeps it engaging, almost like a novel would. To me I at agree. times. So if anyone hasn't started and are just getting started, um, it'll it'll suck you in. There'll be these stories that really suck you in because you'll be able to relate to either kids you've worked with or situations that you've had. Um, okay, so I'm going to go towards when we start talking specifically about hope in schools. Yes. Um, it says hope can predict academic achievement from elementary age children through graduate school, higher hope of a child, the higher daily attendance rate, grades, and test scores. It actually has the screeners within the book. So you uh-huh. can take the screener it, within these first eight chapters, the adult screener and the children's screener is on there. So when they're re- when I'm reading this and I'm saying high hope um, in high hope schools or high hope students, I'm talking about students who are screening high for hope within their trait hope screener. Um, in the language of hope, they're intentionally choosing pathways, I said, to their goals. 
Hopeful high school students have higher grade point averages, fewer absences, higher graduation rates, and higher college enrollment rates. One recent study found that Hope is better predictor of college grade point average than traditional placement tests and high school grade point averages. I thought that was really cool. Hope also best protects student retention and college graduation rates. So the Hope screener, which is like seven questions, you guys, is a yeah. better predictor for how our kids are going to do in college than the ACT. That's yeah, pretty you, cool. You know, there's a couple of them in there. There is the, I was going to talk about the life satisfaction questionnaire as well. Sorry, well, that's you can a good see one my book too. I've never seen that one before. Me neither. But I like those adult hope scale ones. I especially liked, I pulled out the same thing, although I didn't write it down about the uh, ACT, because I was in a SIP meeting, like school improvement team meeting, and we were talking about our ACT, you know, understandably in the last 10 years, ACT scores have gone down because you're evaluating more kids. And um, I was like, do you remember, I don't know how long you've been a counselor, but when I first started in Omaha, there was like a sliding scale of like, if you had this GPA, you yep. could have this ACT score and it would kind of go back and forth. And that's been like a conversation I've had with students, especially here. This should maybe be an episode we should talk about. But the ACT is a great, a great test. But all it is is a test of of four hours, how you did on a Saturday. Really, your resume, what I would tell kids is your resume, the your transcript and the classes you've taken are a better predictor. And how better now to add your, the hope that you have, you know, yes. the, the positive feeling that you have for your future is also such a great indicator of, of a kid being able to be successful. I, I just struggle with, I mean, we, we should do an episode, but do you struggle with that same thing? Sometimes students getting the wrong impression on those tests, Lonnie? Absolutely. What what can suck a student dry of energy or hope better than an ACT test? I mean, not only is their agency kind of depleted within yes. that, you know, you only have so much in the day. Uh, but man, when they feel like they should be doing better than they're doing on that, that can be um, that can be a real blow, a real unneeded blow. Right. Um especially for those kids that are so smart and so funny and so thoughtful and have, have such great skills. You can even sometimes see when those ACT scores, you know, whatever, two or three weeks after the test, you can see they're like, Oh, I'm not going to get into this school or, right. Oh, I'm not going to get this scholarship or I'm not going to be eligible for this. So uh, yeah, what a great, I wish we need to get UNL and, education quest and everybody to, you know, to, to push more. We need to let John Baylor know, you know, you need to be focusing on, on hope as well. So, so I tell kids all the time at the high school, I said, and I kind of get all, you know, my rural roots down here. Ain't nobody asking me daily in my adult life. And of course I'm, it's after I'm promoting, like, let's take, you know, the right classes, let's fill your energy. Yes. Let's make sure, you know, we're academically ready. If you're want to go to a tour for your college, like I'm, I'm also giving the academic spiel on like how we can improve scores. I'm giving them the razzmatazz, but then I also say, but we don't put our self-worth in this to my children. I say, oh, ain't nobody walked around asking me what my GPA was, my ACT score. And if I was a homecoming queen or not, just not a conversation that has really come up in my adult life, Jake, especially yeah. if I didn't work. And then of course I've got the kid right after I say that, this is Watson, what's your ACT score? Yeah. <laughs> but and I answer, I don't know how to tell you that because I'm an adult. So, and I don't put my self-worth in, into things that, you know, that don't need all of my energy. So and, I always but, love to say that. Of course. And, but when they're 17 and 18 and they're at all their, you know, the one oh, yeah. friend that gets a 34 ACT, I mean, it can just, can just wipe kids out. So I agree. I love that. Um, 
I love that part about the ACT score. Now, who who's next? Did you I think go, you're next? Did you just yeah, go, it's I, me next. Okay. Yep. I just uh, went for achievement. All right. I'm going to jump down. I'm going to jump to the end of where we're at right now, which is this hope continuum. So if you have your book with you and want to turn there, it's just like being a teacher again. On page 63, they have what's called the hope continuum, which is kind of like what happens as hope maybe diminishes. What, you know, when I was in Omaha Public Schools, we used to do a lesson that was on like the stress cycle that would talk, you know, talk about stressful event. And then when that stressful event happens, you don't have the resources that you need. You all of a sudden get really stressed out and start walking away from activities. And because you walk away from activities, then you're starting to feel sick. And then another stressful event happens and it goes over and, you know, it goes over and over and leads you. That's for our YouTube friends. It goes over and over and, uh, can lead to, um, such a struggle with, um, getting out of it. You just feel like you're in this cycle of stress that you can't ever go through. And I could really relate to that, uh, that same thing with the symbol that's on page 63. So it talks about, you know, as you're hoping, if you aren't able to get any kind of support or go on, it leads into rage where your goal is significantly blocked. And from there, from being angry that you can't do that, it leads to despair because you can't find any pathways to be able to kind of get out of the place that you are. And then from despair, like the worst, you know, it should be a swear word, but the worst word is apathy where you realize that you have no agency to fix this. I mean, I've been through that at times personally and especially professionally where you feel like, man, I am just in a, in a bind right now. I'm working as hard as I can. Nothing is changing. Uh, And then the worst part is that apathy of saying, "Uh, you know what? I'm done. I don't have any ability to fix this. I just am going to internalize it. And I mean, um, what, what a terrible thing. So it's a hard thing to talk about and a hard thing to kind of realize, but I think it's important to keep that perspective in mind when we have students, like I've transferred kids that come to us from some of our little local districts or, um, sometimes great Island public schools. If they, if they have a rough go, they move to a small town for a new chart change. And man, when these kids are coming into my office and grabbing the seat, you can see that they are despairing school. They're like, I'm just going to put in my time until I'm 18 years old. They think there's nothing, there's nothing I'm going to be able to do. I screwed up so bad my freshman and sophomore year. I think having those, those definitions and just those ideas in your head helps you realize where to help a kid. The kid doesn't not care They maybe would tell you that they don't care, but really it's because they feel like they can't fix their situation. They had a bad experience for two years or two and a half years or three years, and they just are coming in saying, this school ain't going to do it. Nobody at this school is going to look out for me. I have no hope that this is going to be a good experience. So I loved having that as as a definition and a framework to kind of process some of the students that come in. So... I, I have some questions for you, Jake, now yes. that I'm I'm thinking of that. Because, like, I think of those students that come in, right? And I think of the minivan and, like, things that deplete our hope, right? Or we can say deplete our energy, deplete our willpower. Um, what are some of the things that, de- like, drain or distract your mental energy? Let's call it mental energy for now. Like, for me personally? Yeah. What about us? Like... What do you have that drains or depletes yours? You know, Lonnie, 
you know me pretty well. I'm a very like, um, I'm a very like justice oriented person, mm-hmm. I would say. And I, if I see something wrong, I want to fix it right now. And it should be unilaterally, this is not right. You know, we need to be able to change this or fix this. And when I've interacted with people that don't want to, or they say, it's fine the way it is. We haven't changed this in 30 years or 40 years or whatever. And they want to keep it. That said, that can send me in a tailspin pretty quickly because I, I felt like, what am I doing? You know, like what, uh, how could somebody argue that this, that this should be changed or, or this should be fixed? So that is something that I, that I really struggle in a, in a variety of ways in national politics, in local politics, in the dynamics of a small town, in the, in the running of a, of a school district. You know, I, I can, I can really, really struggle with that. I, I just think they're really good questions for us to ask ourselves. And then I'm thinking about those students that you're talking about and relating to them. And it's like, what are distracting or taking from their mental energy, right? What are their barriers? Sometimes our jobs as educators, whether we're counselors or teachers, I know we've got some teachers that are reading this book too. Sometimes we have to just put on our investigator's hat for a little while and try to figure out where are those barriers? Because Sometimes even like me answering that question or reading that question aloud to you, sometimes I think I know and I might need to ruminate on it a little bit more even about myself. Like I always say that about the kids that come into my office. Um, The initial thing they come in for or whatever it is that elicited the tears is not always the real thing. Sometimes, you know, it's like that girl looked at me in the cafeteria wrong and we might be upset about that and crying about that or, or raging about that. But really, there's like something two layers deep. Right. And so getting like truly investigative with our students and ourselves are like, gosh, what is draining or detracting my mental energy? And what's what's taken that willpower from these students? And where are there those barriers? I feel like Dr. Ross Green would be really proud of us for talking about like where are students barriers and figuring it out because he's like a, you know, problem solving. There's there's a problem. Behavior is just an indication that there's a problem and we got to figure out where the problem is and then the way to help the student solve the problem. So I feel like this whole hope book really fits in with like the ideology that I've been studying for years, um, whether it's trauma-informed practice or um, Dr. Green's problem-solving methods. Like I just like how it's all coming together for me for whatever reason. I agree with you. I think um, just like what you're, we, we are oftentimes a school counselor or a, or a thoughtful teacher that cares more than just the grade book in terms of in terms of the well-being of their students i think we will provide that so often for students and you're right we need to step back and process ourselves and especially have trusted trusted people that we can come to with those concerns to help sort of articulate it i have a mentor here at the at my school district that meets with me monthly and goodness she has helped me process some of those some of those sorts of things and think thoughtfully in a way that I wouldn't be able to take take myself out take myself out of the out of the scenario what else do you got Jake you know what I liked this is kind of anecdotal one of the anecdotes I should have put that I loved the cold press tank story about on Good Morning America uh-huh. so the, it's just like a quick anecdote where they had three men and before they 
came on Good Morning America, part of their screeners. They took the Hope Trait screener and yes. they predicted they made them sit in the cold press tank, which I'm assuming is just like the super popular like cold tank tubs that people are ever doing right now. Maybe it's yes. a little different. But it was like just their hands, right? Wasn't that what oh, they said? I, was it just their I hands? I think they said it was just their hands. Got they it. had like a bucket of water. But I'm sure it's the same concept. Like a bucket of water and you would put your hands in it. Anyway, I, I interrupted you. No, you would it's... put you would put your hand in the in the bucket and see who could keep it down under the longest, thinking like who can withstand the pain and, and be able to deal with that. One person took it out immediately. Another person lasted pretty long and took it out right at the end of the television segment. And the third person, Charlie Gibson, that name brought me it back was to, Charlie to, Gibson. You know, right. to probably 1997 when I was used to watch Good Morning, Morning America. He kept it in over the course of the commercial break. They come back from commercial and, and show this. And then the speaker said, you took this hope survey and I knew based on how hopeful you were, who was going to happen. The person that pulled it out instantly had a really low hope score. The person that did it the longest had the high, you know, the most amount of hope that he'd be able to experience trouble and hardship and be able to come on. Yeah. I love that. Have you ever done something like that before? Heck no, I'm not talking about anything like that. But I, yeah. I love the idea that he they did that and he's like, oh, guess what? I predicted that and I predicted it exactly in yes. the order that, yeah, that's awesome. that you had it. Um, I've got one question here. I was looking through. I've been trying to work with um, Liz Bartels from Project Harmony, Jake, to get us some uh, a, kind of a workbook to go along with our this book club. So yes. be on the lookout. If you're following along on the listserv or on Instagram or both, be on the lookout. I'm going to hopefully put a, I love to do a book study with a little workbook. You know, mm -hmm. I'm nerdy that way. I really enjoy, I think in one of the books that I just did the workbook for was Brene Brown's Stare to Lead. And it's just, for some reason, it pulls my thoughts and, and gets my attention, like my creativity dumped onto a page, right? Yes. Of what I'm thinking. Um, so I thought this was kind of cool. It asked, um, can you describe how having a goal that you don't desire impacts your motivation? So say that one more time. Can you think, so, what's say? Yeah. So it says, reflect on a time when someone wanting you, wanted you to do something that wasn't very important to you at the time. Can you describe how having a goal that you don't desire impacts your motivation? I think, I mean, that's a pretty, pretty, pretty easy answer. If you're told to do something that you don't want to do, probably your desire to do it is not very much. Now, I think immediately of painting the basement. That's a project I have coming on that has to be finished in like two weeks. And I know, I know that's, I know that's on the to-do list, but, and uh, but that's not a super high priority to me in my evenings right now. So, it, I mean, it, how helpful is it to to be doing now? I at the same time, you know, the benefits of it, or you know, et cetera, all those sorts of things. But what about you? Can you think of something? Oh my gosh, I can think of so many things that I say yes for because I'm a yes gal. I'm the yes guy, and yeah. then I don't ever do them, or I don't get going on them until last minute because yeah. I really am not my willpower to get those done because yeah. saying no is really hard, Jake. I'm really yeah. learning. Hi, my name is Lonnie. I'm a recovering people pleaser and yeah. I'm working on that. I was thinking though in that question, I don't know why um, that question kind of stuck with me on this this little workbook, but um, can you describe how having a goal that you don't desire impacts your motivation? Also, I'm thinking of a goal that you don't really have a way power for, mm -hmm. right? I mean, whether it's a kiddo telling us, 
Um, they're going to be whatever it is if they don't truly believe there's a way to get there. Yeah. If you aren't making that connection, I just can imagine you're just depleted, right? You don't really have the energy or willpower to work towards that goal because that goal's not, you don't see a way. And I'm not going to say that goal's not realistic because I don't know what I'm saying here with a goal. Like it could be realistic, but if you don't see the way, then your motivation's not going to be there. It just makes me think in that like scientist hat of like, now I'm going to look at kids a little differently. Like, why yes. is your motivation lacking? What What do we not have here? Well, and sometimes it's like, I think you and I are both, you know, an, an elementary counselor might not have the same understanding, but we work with enough students that tell you, I'm going to play in the NBA pretty realistically, right? Right? you know, as a junior in high school. And I don't, I, I often will tell maybe the, IEP teacher, if I'm saying an IEP and that's the career that they say, I often say, I'm not, I didn't get into this job to be a dream killer, but I also, you know, you need to think realistically on, on what, on what sort of that, that pathway is going to be to be able to go in there. Or say, for instance, a student that says, I want to be an engineer, but are really struggling in, in regular geometry as a junior, you know having those conversations we're you know no school counselor or no educator gets in to 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 destroy a dream of a kid no, absolutely but, but it's hard to think about it's hard to have those conversations about about hope like that's kind of maybe putting the rubber to the road a little bit like it's it can be kind of challenging i i have so many ideas from reading these first eight chapters i am so far in the text, if you've read through chapter eight, they've given us some tidbits of interventions within the anecdotes, right? But I'm still eager for that. So I'm yes. really excited to get to these next chapters because I think more of that is coming. Uh, so far, the one tip and or trick that I can really pull out from these eight chapters is, and it seems like both with willpower and way power, is finding is who you surround yourself with mentors that know way power and that have willpower. So yes. it seems to me, Emma, are you picking up on that kind of theme as well, Jake? Absolutely. Well, so the book is filled so much even of almost every anecdote that's a positive story ends with people coming alongside of them and helping them out. Just like that Dan Conrad that I talked about, he had his doctor, Dr. Groupman, that came alongside him and encouraged him and allowed him to get those skills to be able to to, to have hope to be able to move forward. So, I mean, what a great conversation for us to have just in regard to school counselors specifically and educators in general, especially educators that want to see students find that success and kind of be able to build those skills. So w with that being said, I mean, we're, we're sitting here a little bit longer than our usual podcast. We can maybe come on up. Is there anything else you want to add or... So the only last thing I want to add, and then I'll let you take us away, Jake, is yeah. that I sent out an email to the both the elementary, the K-8 listserv, and the high school listserv, um, just to with our schedule, what we're planning on. We want you to join in on the Zoom, the professional development co collaboration at the end. All are welcome, whether you read the book or not. And also, at the NSCA podcast at gmail.com. If you have questions that you want us to read on air, if you want us to, we love to name drop and throw out questions or uh, things that really resonated with you and made you think in a disc, you want to lead a discussion in any direction. We would 
love to do that. We Someday maybe we'll be um, like the big podcasters, the armchair experts and Glenn and Doyle where we have like call into this number and you can leave. But for now, if you just respond to that email thread, um, respond to us and with your name and your question or a statement or something you wanted to highlight from the book, we would love to include that as we do this discussion podcast before we get to the Zoom where we're more interactive. Absolutely. And I'll just add one last thing to there is Lonnie and I have a Instagram account for the podcast. I believe it is at NSCA pod. Am I correct about this? You betcha. Please follow along on the podcast. We will have some posts kind of pulling out some concepts from this over the course of the next month as our lead up to episode two of book club. But thank you so much for taking time to listen. As we've said before, don't hesitate to pop on late. Make sure you can pick up that book. We'll make sure it's uh, easy to access and we can point you in the right direction. But these are all school counselors already. They know how to find their stuff on Amazon. So thanks for listening. And we will come back to you in a couple of weeks with a new episode. And we will see you in April with episode two of Book Club.